All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to a brand new episode of The Real Life Podcast, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. I'm not guessing my math is going to be incorrect, so if you're listening to this, oh. <laughs> Nothing says welcome. Nothing says welcome to the podcast like bag milk telling you to fuck off. Look how happy he is right now. You're right. You must <laughs> ensure that the intros have bag milk. The happiness quotient Finally. on his face right now it's... is high. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been a long time coming. You know, the guy's Small written 9,000 articles, done 2 million podcasts, and he needs to hear himself <laughs> more. Really is the problem. Yeah. 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 Like without me in the intro. There is no intro. That's there far as no I'm intro. concerned. It's just silent dead air. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 306 of the Real Life Podcast, Wanya Beg Milk, I'm Tyler Rumchuk. It's brought to you by the HGA Group. If you go to their social media, you'll see a great video featuring our very own Jay Downton. He does things like stand in an elevator, ride the elevator up a story or two, and explain to you what HGA does. And he does it better than I can. So go watch that video at the HGA Group on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, when I saw stuff. that video, your M check, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I start watching. He's like, this is where I go to put out fires. I'm like, oh, no. What fires are there? <laughs> oh, no. I like how at Fuck. one point he basically goes, we didn't really know what we were doing when we started Oilers Nation. That's why the or HGA recently group helped. is yesterday. <laughs> yeah, just uh, yeah, immediately before HGA group. We were like, can you help us? And they're like, yeah, fine. Like, can you help us with this, 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 this? And they're like, holy shit, you people. They're like, what about our <laughs> other companies? They're like, you have more companies? They're like, this, 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 this. They're great, man. If you need anything, if you have a business and you're like, I'm too fucking busy to do my accounting and my GST and my payroll because I'm busy giving pandas sex changes or whatever it is you do, mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. to HGA, let you focus on the pandas and they'll focus on the business. 
Sure. Write that down, sure. Tyler. Yep. yep. Focus Are you on, glad uh, you did this deal, HGA? Aren't you glad your business was explained in that fashion? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no other Tuesday. way to explain it, really. <laughs> I did got you see any... Taco Tuesday the other day on their social? That looked like a good time. They brought a taco truck to work. What the Damn. fuck? What? That's awesome. Yeah, like I want to go there. Why didn't they send it to our podcast? Yeah, I want to get tacos. <laughs> I we all work an, at HGM. I got an email from, I think it might have been whoever. Um, and they were like, hey, uh, HGA is going to start like hitting you up once a month to like talk about what you should talk about on the podcast. And I was like, what are our random ad reads not quite good enough? <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, this panda thing? That didn't, that's not what they want. Oh, that isn't actually what you do. <laughs> well, you know uh, what, HGA? I think that whatever it is you guys want to talk about is exactly what we're going to talk about. How's that sound? Actually, you know what? I'm actually looking forward to when they come on or just having different copy to read or whatever, just to actually learn some shit, you know? Tyler, you and I are going to learn some shit. Yep. Absolutely. Um, We're also going to learn some shit in about seven minutes when we're joined by former Edmonton Oilers defenseman Andy Sutton, now of (gasps) Verbero Hockey. Damn, man. Cool. The big man. Um, he was he the a big, big man. man. Fuck, Ooh, I was watching boy. like before we started recording this. I was looking at just I was on hockey fights and I was checking out some of his scraps and I was on YouTube looking at some of the hits he threw. <laughs> man, he would hit people like a fucking truck. Unbelievable. He's he was number li- five, right? I think so. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Listed six two forty is what yeah. he listed at on hockey fights. Because remember Ken Sutton? That was a guy too, right? Ken Sutton was it? Yeah, look him up. I'm pretty sure there was an oiler named Ken Sutton. Maybe it was before your time, your end check, considering Probably. your time began 45 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Fucking... Um, yeah, you're right. Ken Sutton. Ken Sutton? Yeah. What number uh, was he? Was he six? I don't six. How would I know com- that? I thought your computer would tell you. I thought it would um, say Ken Sutton, six. Wanye equals correct beside that. The two are not related. Um, if anyone nope. was wondering, Ken had a daughter named Olivia who played U sports hockey. So she was quite the hockey player. And then he had a son named Kenny who played as high as I think that's just midget AAA. Anyways, that's uh, the Ken Sutton family tree. Don't know uh, too, too much about Andy Sutton, but that's and as far as I can do. tell, Tyler, as far as I can tell, no relation to the Sutton hotel either. Ah. Nope. Okay. Should we ask Andy Sutton about his twin brother, Ken Sutton? (laughs) I was actually thinking. And their position within the Sutton Hotel. It would be a funny podcast bit. I wouldn't do it with Andy Sutton because he scares the shit out of me and I have a ton of respect for him. But you bring on a guest and just slightly say their name wrong and see how long it takes them to be like, hey, listen, like if we brought on Andy Sutton and we're like Andy Sutton joining us on the podcast, like how long until... Call you Taylor Yamchuk? Well, yeah, like slightly slightly wrong bio where you like include a fact about their life that absolutely isn't true. <laughs> yeah. You played six games Shanahan? in the NHL invented Velcro. You're like, what? Yeah. Do you remember when Brendan Shanahan one time in a press like media guide or something said he was a backup goalie in the Irish soccer system or some shit and like told a lie to the media guide that year and they printed it as a fact and they were like, Brendan Shanahan, you so crazy. <laughs> Uh, Andy, Sutton, Andy Sutton, the first player to use a carbon fire fiber stick in the NHL. Welcome to the podcast and just see really? if he's like, if he goes like, really, that was me. Like, yeah, <laughs> Andy Sutton, the guy in the history of the Oilers has had the highest incline on his skate blades. Mm. It was me. Hi. <laughs> you don't hear that everywhere. Two uh, degrees. 
or hit him with a fact that like he couldn't possibly fact check, but is also false. Like the first ever player to play for the Ducks and Oilers in back-to-back seasons. Exactly. He would be like, like, oh, that's sweet. And he would like go around telling his friends about it, but it like wouldn't be true. Of everybody who's played in the, for the Oilers and the Ducks, he has the highest combined point totals or some shit, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. We'll tell you about your life, Andy Sutton. That was the mind boggling thing of interviewing Jordan Everly. That one time was that I knew his life better than he did. And I was like, remember Jordan? Remember in the juniors when you scored the goal? And he's like, nope. Like, remember when you went to training camp and then you and Magnus PRV Svensson and Taylor Hall posed in front of a show home? And he's like, nope. <laughs> remember the mm. ATB commercials? Gregor grilled them on that in the latest episode of the DFO Rundown. Um, it was hilarious. Also, Jordan Eberle, before our interview with him on the rundown, he was with his family somewhere and they were going to get ice cream and they were walking, but he needed to do the interview. So he hopped on a scooter and he scootered ahead of his family and then did the interview with us at the ice cream shop and waited for his family to catch up. Then when his family got there, he's like, all right, guys, see ya. I'm going to get ice cream. It was hilarious. I'm legitimately wincing while you tell the story with the emotions of like an ex. I'm like, oh, really? His family? Hey, oh, that's great. You're like, oh, I'm glad. I'm glad they're having a fucking great time and they all have scooters and they live in Seattle. It pains me Uh, to see Jordan Everly so happy without us. I thought he needed us, man. I really thought he needed us. I still need him. Speaking of Eberle, he was the leading scorer on the Oilers the year that Andy Sutton played for them. And something I noticed just looking back, the Oilers four leading scorers that year were all under the age of 22. They're 22 or younger. I mean, what a team, right? That was the year Tom Rennie coached. Good time. What a year. We'd turn the corner in my mind. And then on the other side of the corner, it turned out it was a traffic circle and it was just a big long corner. And we just whirled <laughs> around for like four years. Yeah. Turn the corner and it was a head on collision. The first thing you see. Andy Sutton scored three goals that year. Do you think if we put him on the spot and we're like, remember them, describe them to us. Do you think he could I, like, there's some guys well, that can be, do for that. Sure. Some guys can tell you all their goals. There was one, I remember he scored one with the Oilers where he did a big man dangle like from the blue line down and it was just so surprising. I'm going to see if I can find it for the article. Did he pinch Yeah, I think I think I remember that goal. I think he did, yeah. Uh, When you search Andy, when you search Andy Sutton Oilers, the first two YouTube videos, the first one is a hit on Gabe Landeskog and then a fight right after. And the second one is Brendan Shanahan explaining why he's been suspended eight games. (laughs) <laughs> the backup goalie from the irish soccer system yeah uh all right um before we get to andy sutton just quickly here some love to our friends at twig and berries who are also tough twig promo code nation 15 gets you a nice little 15 percent discount and if you order 75 dollars or more and you're anywhere in canada free shipping hello you can look good just like our next guest andy sutton former edmonton oiler joining us on the real life podcast a veteran of oh what's the exact number on nhl games andy do you know it off the top of your head how many nhl games you played in oh we're, well, we're testing you here andy i got the answer i i don't know the number i know it's i think it's just less than 700 but that's over fi- like 15 years so I, I missed more games due to injury than any other player oh. over the time period so that's what is I that true? To be true that is a true story wow you lost more man games to injury than any other player I remember when I signed in, in Long Island and I signed a decent deal. And, and I was, when I got there, Garth Snow was the GM and I was giving him the gears on what a deal he got. And he looked me square in the face without even batting an eye. And he said, <laughs> Andy, you only play 40 games a year. 
(laughs) That makes you the highest paid defenseman in the whole conference. So I don't want to hear it again is what he said. And he was right. I think I played the second season out of a two-year deal. I think I played 19 or 18 games or something like that. So he, he'd always look at me and be like, see, (laughs) Uh, were you nursing like horrific injuries though, that were like impeding your day-to-day life or what were you generally dealing with for quality of life injuries? Yeah, I had I had 14 surgeries over a 16 year period, and then I probably Jesus. Had, I mean, I was all, I was in a, an air cast as much as I was in a dress shoe. I mean, I had so many fractures. I mean, I blocked blocked so many shots. It was kind of you know, it kind of became my shtick, you know. So I was always busting something, you know, broken hands, I broke my face a few times, and just just stuff like I had four shoulder surgeries. It's been uh, it, it was a, definitely a a long run and all kinds of soft tissue injuries. You know, just pushing this pushing this massive frame around trying to keep up with myself you know because of those injuries because of the injuries was there ever like a time you're like maybe i shouldn't block so many shots or was that just that's the game that's what i got to do you know what it was like for for me it became part of like really who i was and what i was desired for so then in that like you almost wear it as a badge of as a badge of honor like i could remember coming after games and i would always drop down the same way kind of like left leg flat right leg like at a 90 degree and i'd get drilled in like the same spots all the time you know like like top of my left ankle or like you know inside my right thigh or whatever and i'd have these welts like these massive welts but you you'd almost wear them like a badge of honor because you knew that that puck wasn't getting through to the net and it was kind of like part of your deal and it's part of like what made me valuable i think for the team so i don't know it's kind of kind of like like getting tattoos i think where people get obsessed with, with tattoos and then you can't stop you know it's one of those types of things so I have a buddy who played in the Australian Rules Football League, the AFL. You know that game, kind of? Yeah. It's like rugby, right? And yeah. he was a pro, so when he retired, he came over and lived with me and my buddy. And so he's a hardcore rugby guy, right? We went to an NHL game. He saw a guy block a shot, and he goes, without question, that is the most dangerous thing in sports there oh. is, period. Yeah. And, like, he's a hardcore dude from AFL football. And he's like, I cannot fathom people aren't dying on the ice. I wouldn't disagree. I remember one time in particular, I mean, I had a million things happen to me, but I remember I was killing a penalty in Long Island. It was a five on three against Washington. And I remember the, the goal, I can't remember the goalie was, but the, the rebound came out and everybody had already kind of collapsed in on the net because there was a shot and it popped out and Ovechkin had come in from like the off, the offside. And he, 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 he went and ripped this thing from like literally just above the hash marks in front of the net. And as he hit it, the puck flipped up. And he whacked it and I was on the right post and Jack Hillen was on the left post and it hit Jack square in the mouth right here. And I mean, it was like, I can't believe he's not dead. Like it was, it was that, you know, and Jack, Jack's jaw was shattered. He lost a bunch of teeth. It was, uh, it was like, that kind of stuff is just insane. So guys like even as tough as those Australian rules football guys are, I mean, it's a different league. It's It's a a different, it's it's another level. And, uh, you know, I say to people all the time, like those guys hit hard. Certainly they're not wearing gear. Okay. That's fine. Football guys hit hard. Fine. They're not getting hit into like immovable objects. You know, they're getting boards and glass and, you know, there's not sticks and skates a frozen disc that can shatter your skull whizzing about at 150 miles an hour head high yeah absolutely so how do you how do you witness that type of injury and not just be like you know what i've made 17 million dollars to date good day to you all like how do you are you just that brave for lack of a better word 
Yeah, or stupid, one or the other. I'm not sure. You're kind of pot, you're kind of pot committed. You know, you're 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 into it, and it's like again, it's part of. I don't know. In a, in a weird way, it is. It's kind of like a. It's kind of like a badge, you know, of, of of honor that you wear, and you and you. I don't know. You ride it as long as you can. It's a great. It's a great thing to be able to play the sport you love and to get paid for it, and to be able to do that at the highest level. And you know, if you're lucky enough to do it for a long time, you kind of count your blessings. Like I can remember in my first season. Um, I was in with the Sharks and Bob, Bob Rouse was there and he'd already won a, a couple of cups with Detroit. And, uh, you know, Rouse, I remember him saying to me, and he was my roommate. He used to, you know, they, back then they used to ride us so hard. That's a whole other bunch of stories we can tell, but you know, he, he was, he would tell me, honestly, he'd say, he'd say, Andy, when I, when I got to 10 years, I had always told myself that anything longer than that was gravy. And I remember thinking, Oh my goodness, 10 years in the NHL, you know, like that's absolutely insane. You know, looking at his career at that point and thinking, wow. And then I got to 15 years, you know, and I just, I can't even believe it to be honest with you that I was able to do it. You know, I was never drafted. Um, you know, I almost, I almost quit hockey when I was 17. I, you know, I had done nothing the first three years at school prior to my senior season where, I, you know, everything seemed to click. And, and then I had 14 NHL teams try to sign me after my last college game and my whole life changed forever you know so it's a it's funny life's a series of you know of forks in the road and sliding doors and sometimes you're just destined to not bust your face or not be so fearful you don't want to play anymore or whatever the thing is you know and I just was able to able to endure I guess well I want to go back to that uh, from the start there like I mean you said you almost quit hockey when you were 17 like when you were growing up and you were a teenager was the goal NHL in your mind? Like, did you think it was possible or was it just something that you sort of chipped away at over a number of years and sort of kept getting your breaks and just kept working and improving? Well, I think like any Canadian kid, you know, like I dreamed of it, right? Like that's, that's part of the underlying thing that, that motivates you, you know, and I was fortunate enough to go to a lot of Leaf games when I was a kid and got to, you know, got to be close and get to see those guys in the warm of Wendell Clark with no bucket on and ripping around and the guys, you know, cracking it off the glass and warm up and stuff like that. So that was a, those, those things and sharing that with my dad, those were, those were big things that imparted that, that passion. Were you highly touted in minor hockey? Like were there, is everyone like Andy Sutton is the shit? P.S. Like, what no, was I, it like? I wasn't. I think I was. I was pretty good early on, and then uh, you know, I I was a pretty late bloomer. So like, I didn't even make my midget team. So I actually went and played mm-hmm. in. A- in a small, uh, you know, small league in, in Gananoque, Ontario, I played junior B there. And, and, you know, I tell this story often, but I was like, you know, I showed up and guys with mustaches and, and, and full-time jobs and baby mama drama, like are on my team. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm a 15 year old kid in this league, like the youngest player in the league. And, and it ended up being, you know, another one of these things that ended up being a big thing for me because I had to, I had to figure out how to play with the big boys. And then, you know, were you blocking back. shots as a 15 year old in that league? Were no. you big back then? No, I was a forward too, guys. Like, oh, I, wow. that's oh. like I was oh. an identity crisis, you know, so I started out as a defenseman and then as a young guy, I was bigger than everybody else. So I score a lot of points as a defenseman. They're like, Oh, why don't we make him into a forward? So I'm like, all right, let's be a forward. Right. So I'm a forward until I get a scholarship. And then I go to, I go to school my first two years. I'm a forward. Where did you go? Michigan Tech. I got a partial scholarship. Oh, yeah. And then uh, converted the rest through academics. And then during the NHL lockout of of 94, 95, um, Randy McKay happened to be there. um, And and Jim Jim Storm, I think, was the other guy. They were practicing with us. And there was a two-week stint where Pierre Paget sort of world famous coach, you know, came in and kind of hung out with our team and, and did an assessment basically. And when he left, uh, he, he gave that assessment to the coach, Bob Mancini and Bob called me in and he said, Hey, do you want to know what Pierre said? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> sure, 
Sure. Of course they do. You know, I think no. I had like four <laughs> the year before I he said, all he said was try something that defense. And I and he said, what do you think? And I said, I said, let's go, let's go for it. So I struggled the rest of that year. I had a, I had a shoulder surgery that junior season wasn't great. And then I had actually like at the end of that year, I had an offer to take an internship with the U S Navy in DC. So I was studying engineering at school. And are I you Canadian? I'm Canadian. Yeah. And so I the said, Navy was going to let you into the U.S. Navy as, as an intern. Yeah, as an intern. What? So I had a girlfriend at school, and and I, you know, who I thought I cared for at the time and stuff, and I, uh, so I literally turned it down and didn't go. And I'm like, I'll stay here on campus, give it one more kick at the can, see what happens. Maybe I'll maybe I'll muck around in the East Coast League for a couple of years. Who knows? Well, you know, I like how things happen, you know, and for me in my life, like everything sort of starts and ends by not attaching myself to, to results, which is where I think we can get burdened, you know, like be more present and, and, and just focus on that presence. So I went into that year kind of without uh, any expectation. And, and I, you know, I won, def- I won defensive player of the year. I was the highest scoring defenseman in all of collegiate hockey, I think that year. And, and what were your coaches like, what the fuck is this? Literally, like that's what it was like, and 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 then fourteen, you know, I had fourteen NHL teams try to sign me, and I I literally took like a little bit less money from the Sharks to go to San Jose. Uh, How does that work though? Like, what's the change in mindset that has that big of a change in performance? Uh, you know, I think. Um, uh, opportunity is one like we had a new coach Tim Waters came in who was a longtime NHL defenseman and he I think he had he he chose to believe in me and give me the ice time that was needed and then self-confidence grew and I had I had skills I just don't think I'd necessarily married married the skills with the opportunity and then the sustainability um, which allowed you to sort of like you know advance and, and sort of you know propel yourself so that year just kind of had a compounding effect and and self as self-confidence grew performance went up and it's that chicken and egg thing. And I dealt with it all the time in my career. You know, I had times when I was, you know, in Atlanta, especially when I was a one, two defenseman, I had other times like in Anaheim, you know, where I was a six, seven defenseman and you're, you know, you're playing seven to 12 minutes and you're having to fight and sit around and, and what comes first, right? Like, does the confidence come first or do you get the ice time and then the confidence comes? So it's a really, it's a really tricky thing. And I, you know, played around with it a lot, but you know, the times when I've thrived the most for me is when I know I'm going to go back out on the ice and I have an important role to play. So like when I was in Atlanta and I knew like, even if, you know, Ovechkin and those guys scored, scored on us and my job was to go out the next shift and shut them down. I didn't have time to think about it. And I certainly wasn't benched and left there the rest of the game to think about like that one play that I made that like cost a goal or whatever it was, or even if it wasn't my fault, you know, so there there's that, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to, to navigate as a player. Like when you're just, you know, you just shut down, you don't even get a chance to go out and redeem yourself. Cause I do think as a player, you should have an opportunity to redeem yourself because if you channel that stuff properly, you can, go out there and you can use that energy and that and that that passion about the thing that happened and you can impart yourself you know in a positive fashion but you've got to be given another opportunity where does that that ethic come from for you andy like i mean you said you're going to quit hockey we've got a position change in the mix plus you're working on engineering where did that come from is that something that's just kind of internal or do you got like a somebody you looked up to and say i if i want to be at this level i got to work at least that hard well, my, you know, my, my dad, um, he's, he's been a locksmith his whole life and he's, you know, he's one of the hardest working people I've ever, I've ever seen. So I grew up watching him do that, you know, and, and my, my mom's actually an incredibly hard worker too. So, you know, I, I got to watch people who worked hard. And then I think for me, I don't know, I have like a, I have like a relentless uh, appetite 
for stuff and I have a relentless appetite to challenge myself and I still have it today. Like, and that's why, you know, sort of the entrepreneurial world fits me well because I can check a lot of the boxes that, that I have when I was playing. The competition is in there, but I get to use more of the cerebral side of, of things and not so much the physical, um, you know, you get all the challenges, you, you know, you can make money, which feels great. You know, when you do well, get to connect with all kinds of people. So it checks a lot of boxes. And then I think just work ethic. The I'm, likelihood you get hit in the head with a puck sitting at your desk yeah, is very low. I, know, I, don't, I do not. I do not miss any of that stuff. I can. <laughs> <laughs> I've, had, I've had my my fair share of that, so it, it is nice to to feel uh, to feel less injured on a regular basis for sure. So rewinding back, you go from being sort of unheralded, undrafted to fourteen different NHL teams, and you were the top collegiate scoring defenseman. Yeah, I believe so. And I was I was an All American that year and Defensive Player of the Year in the WCHA. Wow. And and so, you are know. you sitting there a year later, like that's how you do it, everybody? Or do you go into <laughs> NHL camp with a lot of pressure on yourself, or do you feel like you've already destroyed life? Like, how are you? What's your well, headspace? I, I still feel like I had. A, then you feel like you have a lot to prove because you feel like you have to live up to this, you know, opportunity. And and um, you know, I, I remember coming coming into the Sharks. And I got really lucky, too, because I happened to leave school right away. I went and played in Lexington, Kentucky. I finished there and did the playoff run. And I was fortunate enough to go be a black ace with the Sharks in their in their season that year when they were in the playoffs. And then, I mean, at that time, with the Sharks had legends like Owen Nolan and Mike Vernon and, you know, Brian Marchment and, I mean, Gary Suter. I mean, this just un- unlimited. It was, it was unbelievable. Ber- Bernie Nichols was there. Ally Afraidy was there at the time. I remember, like, one of the first games I'd go down for the workout for the game. He'd be there in between periods they put a chair out for him in the concourse he'd have like all his tattoos shirt off just all hairy and he'd, and he'd be sitting there smoking a dart with his skate <laughs> I mean the game, was, the game was so different back then you know and um, but but to be around that and to be, be able to be introduced and get a level of comfort with the team yeah. when I went into camp that next year and I, and I, you know, I went into rookie camp, I had a good rookie camp and, and, and I was able to make the team out of camp as a, as a rookie. And I think a lot of that was because I was, I was really comfortable and the guys, you know, mostly, mostly invited me into that circle and then I earned it. And then you have to just keep fighting to earn it. I mean, you, have, you can't take a day. I mean, every, every year there's somebody like me coming up, trying to take your job. So to hang around, I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta hustle, man. You gotta get better. You ever Did get you with a sweet rookie bill in that year with those legends? The, I hate talking about the rookie dinners because I think it's, I think it's absolutely obnoxious. I mean, I really do. I know I was, I was part of a lot of those experiences and they're, uh, you know, and it was myself and Brad Stewart. And I remember we ate at, we ate at Morton's Steakhouse in, in, uh, in Philly. And I remember Mike Vernon picked up the tip, but the, the bill, the bill was ridiculous. And I, I don't even want to talk about it because it's disgusting. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and I remember that at the end of the meal, the guys got, a, they bought a bottle of Louis the 13th and brought it to the table. And I what remember, the fuck? yeah. And I remember, I still have the bottle, but I remember taking a, taking a sip of this and being like, why the hell would anybody pay for this? It tastes <laughs> like gasoline, you know? And, uh, and I think See, brought, you aren't a 14th century French King. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think I was supposed to feel that way that night, but it didn't, it did not feel that way. <laughs> Do you ever, did you ever sit when like the later years of your career, when things really changed, like you're talking about guys smoking darts in the locker room by the time you would have been in your last year with Edmonton. I mean, those guys coming up would have had specialized trainers since they're 11 and probably didn't eat anything but vegetables, right? Like what a weird contrast from the start of your career to the end. 
Well, it was, and I can remember, you know, I, I lived in Kingston and my family's still in Kingston. I, and in the summertime, we had an amazing skate. I mean, we had Wendell Clark would skate with us, Doug Gilmore, Kirk Muller. I mean, just Scott wow. Arneal, Terry Carkner. I mean, we had the, just an unbelievable. And then a bunch of young guys up and coming, you know, Brian Allen, Matt Bradley, Matt Cook. I mean, we had just a sick skate. It was unbelievable. And, um, you know, I can remember I can remember going to the skate and Wendell, Wendell would come in and he'd wear a garbage bag underneath his underneath his uniform because he thought that's how you lost weight getting ready for camp and that's a that's triple a sweat time yeah unbelievable you know and i remember going to scotty arneal's cabin and i went into his workout room and there was like a mat in there and an exercise bike and that was it you know so like and the exercise bike was like the one you pick up at a garage sale look like you got it from like 1975 but that's that's like what, what you did back then and you know training camp was to get in shape and we weren't you weren't in you weren't in perfect shape like and tested like they we are today like the athletes are today coming into training camp here you got to be in like absolutely perfect condition and if not you're you know you're in big you're in big trouble it was a, it was a different deal you know and then you could you know you could you're the type of player like a brian marchman or Owen and like nobody was being like hey Owen you only got you know seven chin-ups like what what the hell is going on Owen be like look I'll spear your eye out and I'm gonna go score 40 this year so let's <laughs> like let's move on to another you know something else and the, the players had a different I think there was a different level of respect for the players too versus now like the guys are much more like commodity based for sure what do you think would happen like having played kind of in the mo- what well, we won't say non-modern era but the smoking era and the non-smoking era I'll put it that way with the dedication of the new generation and all of the resources at their disposal, did the game get that much better? Um, like the quality of play, was it like insanely better your last year of your career versus the first year? No, no. I mean, I think that, you know, you think about early on every, every team had like three or four just behemoth guys that could like punch your face off, you know, where, where, and they weren't the best players. Let's just say, say that they were not the best players. That was part of the fabric of the game. And I think it was an important fabric of the game, part of the game that people appreciated. And I think the, the players who had those guys in their team appreciated because they kept, they kept order, they kept order in the games and we self-policed. Right. So there was a lot more honor, I think, and integrity and, and violence, like violence could turn at any moment. And then, you know, I think that what changed when they when they pushed back the age of free agency and then when teams started looking okay well we got to start dollar cost averaging guys and start giving guys after two years like 70 million dollars well you got a problem like a, a, a guy who's 20 years old or 21 years old should not be getting a 70 million dollar contract i mean it just shouldn't happen and when i first started you had to make it to 32 to even be a free agent so think about that too like you you, you come in as a as a 19 year old or whatever and you're with the sharks. Well, you're going to assume in your mind that you have a responsibility to care for the relationships with that team because if things go well, like you're going to have to be there until you're 32. So there was much more respect, I think, in there that you know where you came versus now. Guys are just like, you know, I got this contract. I'm I'm protected. I got no trade, or or I can I can just you know ask for a trade or go somewhere else, and or I can get bought out and go sign somewhere else. Like the players have a lot more have a lot more leeway now. I think to to basically you know act as act as free agents whenever they. They want to back to the policing part of the game do you think that's a little bit missing these days because i mean even just earlier in the offseason we saw the new york rangers trade for ryan reeves and people kind of connect the tom wilson thing from washington there is that kind of been are we missing that because like you said they don't have the three big guys on the team anymore but now it's more of a team toughness as opposed to like people one that guy that'll beat the down. shit out of you yeah 
Yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, like, you know, and I, I ran, I ran around with the best of them. I mean, I, I'd run around like Tom Wilson often, you know, and especially if there was a team that didn't, that didn't have, you know, guys and back, especially when I first started, like you'd play some games and there'd be like four or five, like really tough guys. And so you're thinking, you're definitely thinking twice. And there's usually one of them on the ice. And then you like, there was, you had a, you had a responsibility to respond to that course of action. So if you were going to play that way, you had to, you had to stand up for yourself and make sure that you, that you, that you answered that bell. Right. And then that was, that was sort of the respect that you needed to be able to continue playing that way. You know, Scott Stevens and a few guys got around that, I think because they play 30 minutes a night and they're winning Stanley cups. But in general, like if you're the kind of player that plays physically that way, you, you, you would have to, you'd have to find, you'd have to fight some guys to, to make sure that you could stick up for your style of play versus now, like I watched this guy, especially him run around. I'm just like, man, this would, this would just not fly, you know? Um, And if I was on the team, like it just, I, I would feel compelled to have to do something every time because it just, it just can't be that way. You know, it just, it just really can't be that way. I, one of uh, the other websites that's in our network is hockeyfights.com. I went on there. You had close to 50 career scraps in the NHL, I think is the number. When someone, it, I mean, like I'm doing now, sits you down and says, pick one fight and describe it. What's the first fight that hops into your mind? What's the most memorable scrap of your career? Well, you know, I'll, I'll, I had some reasonable ones. You know, I had a, I had a great fight with Reed Simpson in Chicago. I think it was like two and a half minutes early on. It was like an, an insane scrap. But I, what I think about more than anything is like, the guys that were really tough, you know, like I, I remember I hit Ryan Callahan one time and uh, hit him pretty good. And I remember, I, I think I might even got a penalty. And when I got out of the box, like before I could even turn around, Colton Orr had a hold of me. And I remember all I, all I heard was ching, 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 ching. Like he was hitting my helmets like so hard and so fast that like you could, you couldn't even look up to do anything about it. You know, and I remember thinking like, <laughs> these guys that do this for a living are so tough, you know, and I, I, I could usually handle myself. That was not, that was not my, like my core attribute. Um, you know, and then even just thinking about, you know, I, I remember in, uh, in San Jose, as well, it was, it was, uh, I think it was in San Jose as well. I remember I, I doubled a Ginla up in the corner. Um, and this was before he had ever gotten to 50 goals. I think he was at like 47 goals and I buried him from behind and I got a penalty for it. It was only two minutes back then. And I got out of the box and puck came to me and, bef- you know, I go to D to D it to my partner. And before I could even turn around, like Craig Berube had knocked me out cold. Right. So like, and I think, I think they gave Fuck. me, yeah, you know, the worst part, guys, I think we got five for fighting each. So <laughs> Insult to injury. And you don't even that's, remember. That's how they did it back then. The rest were yeah. like, yeah, this is appropriate. This this rookie should not be doing this to Jerome McGinley. Barubi was doing his job, you know, and, and then the rest were like, okay, we're also going to send a message here by, by making sure that people know that this isn't how the game's going to be played. So it was a little more tightly wound and there was a, there was a core structure there that, that is very different to today where everything is just so polarizing and everybody's got an opinion back then. I think, well, hey, there weren't as many people, to, as many platforms to talk about it. And I also think people maybe even just respected the, respected the way the game was the fabric of the game. One more for our friends at Hockey Fights. I'm looking at your fight card here. There were four players only that you fought multiple times. Only one player you fought three times. Do you know who that is? I have no idea. It was actually Reed Simpson. You scrapped him three times in the NHL, which is funny because you have that one that was whatever you, like you said, I pulled it up. Yeah, you're right. Like two minutes and 45 seconds or something like that. Damn. I remember, I I think I was in Atlanta too, and I I caught him with an uppercut, and and I, I, I caught him in the throat. 
and he was, oh. down, he was like down the ice. He couldn't breathe. So I, oh. I, I remember that one too. I don't remember the third fight, but the, the first two were pretty epic. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm exhausted thinking of a two and a half minute fight. Oh yeah, my yeah. god! I <laughs> uh, going. We've kind of gone through your career here, and since we are Oilers Nation, before we get to the Verbero hockey stuff, which is probably going to be the most fascinating part of this, we talked about the helmet before we started recording, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, but your career with the Oilers—it was the last season of your NHL career. What do you remember about coming to Edmonton? Do you have like, uh, like, what was your like welcome to Edmonton or welcome to the Oilers organization moment? What was the first impression there? Well, I'll tell you, you know, and back to the Bob Rose story, the 10, the 10 years and everything being gravy. I don't think I saw it that way, but in the, in the end, like as I stretched on, I felt more and more grateful just to be around because I, I saw the game changing. And when I got to Edmonton, like it had really changed, you know, Taylor Hall was there and Nuge was in his first year and Jordan Everlay was there. And I mean, we had Sam Gagne, we had so many young players, like so many young players and so many young phenoms. And, and, you know, I, I started to feel more and more appreciative of the opportunity and the ability to, to really like, care for young players, you know, and try to be, um, try to be a liaison between like what a coach might be and what it meant to be that, you know, that type of teammate that could also, you know, also assist. So I, I love that. So the first thing that I remember is, is, is being really excited to go there because I only had a, a short stint of playing in Canada when I got traded to Ottawa at the deadline. And I loved it. I mean, I, I wish I had been able to have played more in Canada because it just, uh, it just it just vibrates with you, you know, the being Canadian and, and uh, you know, the love, the love of the game, the sheer joy that people feel around the game and the team that they that they love so much. I mean, you feel it everywhere you go in the city and it just it, it gives you it gives you energy. Um, so I remember that. And then obviously the young players and, and the coaching staff and the environment, they're like so professional, like I just so many people like like that are so proud to be part of the organization, the medical staff, the equipment staff, the coaching staff, like having Tom Rennie there and having, you know, having Bucky there and, and Steve Smith. And it was just, it was honestly just, it was just unbelievable, you know? And I, I, uh, you know, I had, I had a good, good season enough that they signed me again. And then I ended up having a, what ended up being a career ending knee injury training the summer, you know, summer heading into the, the lot would end up being the lockout year. I, I was, at the end of this, the season that the final season I played, Tom Rennie had called me into the office. He said, hey, Andy, just so you know, we've got a lot of young guys coming up and you're probably only going to play 40 games next year. And I looked them square in the face. I said, oh, Tom, you know me better than that. You know, I'm not just going to accept that. Right. So I went home that summer and I'm like, I'm going to train my ass off. I'm going to I'm going to do everything I can to come in in the very best shape of my life at 38 years old. And I'm going to show them that that's not what's going to be happening. So I was doing, doing jump squats with these you know, rubber bands on the, on the bar. And then you go into these double leg bounds and I didn't feel anything at the time. Then I'd go skate after we'd go do our skate. And I can remember coming back from the skate on the, I think whatever the Monday or Tuesday or whatever it was, and my, my knee blew up like a, like Ooh. just like a balloon. And I iced it for the rest of the week. Cause I just, you're so ingrained to be like, Oh, I'll just get through this. It's probably just a, probably just a pulled muscle, or whatever it is. Right. So I try the same thing the following week. I, you know, I try the workout, I try the skate blows up again. I call my agent and this is before they locked us out. And he's like, you have to get on a flight tomorrow to go to Edmonton. I'm like, all right, all right, I'm, I'm going. Cause I think he knew what was coming. So I get up there, they do an MRI and the uh, orthopedic surgeon comes in and he, he looks at me, I swear to God, this is the first thing he said to me, he looks at me and goes, what the fuck have you been doing? Oh no. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you've sheared off a piece of the base of your femur 
the size of your pinky finger and it's lodged in your knee. Oh my God. Oh, yes. <laughs> the normal things that happen. Well, you don't see that every day. What kind of weird doctor so, are you? <laughs> they immediately did surgery and took that out. And then uh, I needed a, a couple of experimental surgeries because it took a huge piece of cartilage with it. And I was all ready to do it. And then uh, some other things happened like more personally. And I, and I ended up making the decision to, to shut it down. But it, it's, it's like, a, it's the only regret that I have because I can remember that last year that I played that I'd already resigned for the following year. I was super excited about it. They brought up a bunch of young guys because we weren't going to make the playoffs. I hadn't played in like six weeks or seven weeks at the end of the year. And, you know, I was being a great teammate and was still doing all the workouts and we're doing all the bag skates and all the stuff. But, you know, if there wasn't a game or whatever, like we were, I was having a good time and it was like a really nice time. Right. So we had the second last game of the year game ends and uh, we got Vancouver, the falling nights like back to back. And they come to me like, they're like, so let's see three guys went down. Like you got to play tomorrow. And I remember I looked at Steve Smith and I said, Are you, you're fuck, you're kidding me. Right. <laughs> he, said, he, said, he said, no, I'm dead. I'm dead serious. You're playing tomorrow. So I can remember going into that game in Vancouver. You know, it's really, it's really a nothing game. I didn't know that was going to be my last NHL game. You know, and then the lockout, the injury came, lockout came and you just, you just disappear. So it's like, it was such a weird ending to such a, like such a long and diverse career, but it was, uh, it was one of my, one, definitely one of the highlights of my life playing in Edmonton at the end. And I, I wish I could have finished that last season. We, we hear a lot, like we just went through the free agency process and all that. We hear about, you know, oh, no one wants to play in Edmonton. The fans are hard on you. No one wants to play in Canada because the media is blah, 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 blah. Does it take like sort of a different breed of player to be willing? Or do you think sometimes guys just need to be willing to give it a shot maybe? I, I think it's different for everybody. I, I think certain people thrive on on the, uh, you know, on the opportunity to have people watching everything you're doing and have a, a, a more discerning eye which I think is what you get in Canada. I think the average fan knows a lot more about the game and, and maybe even bears a lot more frustration when things aren't good or they haven't been good for a long period of time. The media the same way. So I think if you're the type of player that likes to hide in the shadows, you should go play in Anaheim. I think if you, I think if you want to, you want to challenge yourself to a higher degree and be part of something that's um, culturally probably like a, a deeper, you know, deeper uh, opportunity. I think you should take a good look at playing for one of the great Canadian teams for sure. Your M Chuck, I want you to take that clip. I yeah, want you to put it to rock music, and I want that to be the intro to the podcast. <laughs> the lasers. Three years, and when we hear some fucking guy who says he hates it here, we're going to play that clip. And we'll all feel better about ourselves. And thank <laughs> you for saying that. Yeah, guys, guys shouldn't say that either because if they say they hate it, they just they've just failed. So like it's it's on, you, it's on you, you know. And I had the same experience in Anaheim. You know, I had signed a when I was I was a free agent after probably my best year in 2010 and I told my agent to give me a job with the Ducks and the Kings I didn't care who because I wanted to I wanted to end my career out, out west and in the sunshine I wanted to wear flip-flops to work and uh, so I ended up signing a, getting a one-year deal from the Kings and a two-year deal with Anaheim and I went in and I was you know poised to have a, have a great year and I shattered my hand in a fight in the first game in Detroit and really never got in Randy Carlisle hated me and and that was you know so I could look at that and say oh I hate Anaheim but it was my fault. I didn't play well. You know, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't respond well after the injury. You know, I missed a bunch of time because they, they had to do surgery on my hand and it's, it's my fault. So guys that say it the other way, they're just, they're just, uh, they're kind of missing the point. 
Oh, we spoke with oh, sorry, you're on Jack. We spoke with Luke Gazdick, like former Oiler, and his first game as an Oiler, first shot he scored, oh, yeah, he scored. right? And then he beat the shit out of some guy later on in the game. And we're like, why do you think people don't like it in Edmonton, Luke Gazdick? He's basically like, I don't know. I scored on my first <laughs> shot, and I was a hero the entire time I was there. I feel like you're a similar type profile of player, right? Like you could be on a bad team and still have heroes on a bad team. If yeah. you're the kind of guy who's willing to block a shot with your orbital bone in bloody preseason, you're not going to get too many Canadian hockey fans questioning yeah. you, in my mind. Right? It's a smart fan base for the most part, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and had a lot of passion there. So like, you've got a, you got a responsibility, you know, you can't, you can't take a day off. You can't, you can't not give it your all because people notice. I mean, it's, but you're also a God at the same time. And very few things elevate you to the status in my mind in life. Like even the guys in the AFL, right? Like they'd see Oilers out and about and they're like, damn, these guys are gods. Like you can just tell how the average person at the gas station gets excited when they're there. That isn't in every market, right? And they need to thrive on that or you don't. It's not. You think about like a historic franchise like the Bruins or something. And it's, it's obviously, you know, one of the most incredible franchises. There's a lot of competition up there. You know what I mean? There's a lot for people to, to, to experience a lot of ways they can be fans. You know, and that's not to say there's not a lot going on in Edmonton. There is too, but there's in Canada in general, there's one thing that people that we all love yeah. of all else. And then if you're in a city and there happens to be a team, I mean, it's, it's the only show in town. So it's, it's pretty special. There isn't a lot going on in Edmonton, and what there is going on in Edmonton is about the Oilers. So if there yeah. is 20 bars that are busy, they're all watching the game. It's great. I mean, and that's that energy. Like I said, that that energy is infectious. And, and when you're, I remember that year. You know, the, the final year I played, I think out of the gates, I think we were in first place. I think we won. You know, I don't know what it was like 12 of the first 14 games. We were on fire. We had it really cooking, and and it was looking good. You know, and and. Uh, you know, you get, you guys know when it's, when it's electric and it's been amazing the last few years, certainly, and especially during the regular season, it's, it's a special feeling, you know, I, I, I really just hope that the team can, can go to the next level because it's, it's sort of like, you know, Nathan McKinnon says at a certain point, you're measured, you're measured by whether or not you've won, right. Not, not how many scoring championships you, you get or, or how many, you know, how many president's trophies you get. It's in the, in the end, it's whether or not you've, you've won that cup. Let's uh, let's switch gears. Talk about Verbero. When you did hang up the skates, did you have an idea what you wanted to do after hockey? Did you know you wanted to stay involved in hockey? How did Verbero come about? Like, take us through the first kind of steps of this whole project. Well, it's it's a long story, like a lot of things. But you know, I um, you know I, I studied engineering at school, so you know, and I, I had what the- type of engineering environmental but I always had kind of an analytical mind and, and yeah. while I was playing I think par- partially because of a lot of the injuries I was always tweaking gear and and doing different things to try to better protect myself especially like upon return and type of things so I started really spending a lot of time in that space and, and then I, I started thinking as things were winding down like okay, what am I gonna do with the rest of my life I'm a young man you know I've, I've had a good career I've, I've got good relationships I've got access so I started developing intellectual property in the protective space and then I started working to license that technology and got pretty far down the line with the Easton brand um, you know bef- before they basically got acquired by Bauer that whole process sort of um, disintegrated and 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 but at the same point in time I had met some people along the way and then I started went and worked as president of a multi-brand hockey company in the US um, and, and, and while I was there, I worked there for a little over four years. I touched it, everything. It was a, it's a, it was a, it was a bit small. It was a small, big company. 
And I was able to sort of work on all facets of things, learn everything from manufacturing, sourcing, you know, product development, sales and marketing, warehouse management, you know. Did they actually manufacture equipment on site or was it all third party or how to go? Did like a lot of the like, you know, practice jersey decoration, embellishment on site, you know, and then, you know, we'd manufacture with a whole bunch of different manufacturers. Everything yeah, yeah. Cool. Every, literally everything. And I got to be part of all that that sort of tied into what I was already kind of doing. And then, you know, lo and behold, you know, while I was there, I, I was part of some acquisitions. Like we acquired the first star apparel brand out of Canada. Um, you know, Verbero came in or I did not, I wasn't part of that acquisition early, but I was able to work on that brand for almost two years. And then I, I lent some money to that business. And, and then basically when COVID started to hit, I put everything to call pulled assets off the table and left some stuff behind. And in exchange, I took the Verbero brand outside always with the intention to run it as a standalone. Uh, oh, that's a gangster play, Andy Sutton. <laughs> that is a gangster move. Yeah. Well done. It was, it, it, it turned out to be great and, uh, you know, kind of extracted a lot of the best bits of Verbero and then took a lot of the, the bits uh, that I learned at this other job and, and, and kind of, you know, and then my, my career in hockey, my life in hockey and kind of blended it all together. And, you know, right away I knew that I, and I have my best friends in elite level software program, he programs for the, for the U S government. And he's, he's absolutely insane. Uh, so I had, I had said to him, Donnie, I want to, I want to create the only basically automated team store software program because we have the lightest stick on the market. We have, you know, the only 3d printed helmet. We have the only full carbon fiber skate. We, we purchased the apparel an apparel company in Pakistan. So I said, Donnie, I need you to create this for me so we can turn these team stores on and we can automate. When you say a team store, you mean like you create an online store that an athletic team can purchase their equipment from or fans can buy their fan gear from or what is it? It's all there. It's all in the store. All the apparel, all the headwear, bags, accessories, all the hard goods um, are there as well. And you in Pakistan are creating all that apparel and shipping it all white labeled through your own platform? Shipping it all Verbero labeled. Uh, customer direct. So we, we were the only company that sells like one team logoed hoodie, one team logoed warm-up suit, one hat. Um, and, and it's, it's going really well. We also tripled the industry standard commission rate. So, you know, the typical deal is Bauer CCM, everybody else, they basically allow territorial exclusivity. And then, you know, they all, they also, you know, they give their reps a certain type of commission. I tripled the commission rate. I obliterated basically the exclusivity and I allow our reps to sell anywhere to anyone. And on top of that, I allow them to build their own subrep force of which they earn on their subrep sales. So they're tied to bulk orders, tied to team store orders. We've tripled the, tripled the commission rate, as I mentioned. So because of that, you know, we've established some insane partnership. We've partnered with the PHPA. We've got about 25 ex-NHLers on our staff, about 30 PHPA members, and about 20 of the top women in the game. No um, way. Podcasts like Next Shift, we've we've got a team. We build team stores for groups like Elite Prospects. Uh, we work we work with the coaches site. We work with Forty Four Vision. Um, so when you say Elite Prospects, you mean like you run their merchandise? We we run we run their apparel their apparel and, and basically oh, yeah. built them a teams. We actually built them two team stores. So we build them one team store that's forward facing for for the regular the Elite Prospects uh, user. And then there's a there's a secondary store for the Elite Prospects premium account. The people that pay the monthly subscription rate, they get a deep discount on product to offset the monthly subscription rate. So we built them two team stores actually, and then we run sort of limited offerings and promotional items with them on a on a monthly or bi monthly basis. And then you do all the fulfillment as well. We do, yeah. We we manage everything. Wow. 
One thing well, that I damn wanted it, to all ask the hell, about, it's genius. It, Good job. it really is. And the, another thing that's genius that I wanted to ask you about is you mentioned the 3D printed helmet. Uh, I mean, I played since I was a little kid, helmets shaking around up there. What kind of brought this about? And just kind of, can you tell us about how it works? Because before we started, you kind of gave us a little run through about how the impact gets spread out as opposed to just being in one spot. So how did that come about? Because I'm fascinated to see the upgrades and helmets. We're not talking about the old Jofas anymore. No. <laughs> so the, so the, you know, I, one thing I really wanted with this brand too, because the, the antithesis is the other brands where essentially they do change for change because they, they want to stuff new products down the retailers throats. That's their model. It's not about progress. It's not about evolution. It's not really even about, you know, giving the customer more value. So I wanted to make sure two things at Verbero. I wanted to make sure that we could extend value. I wanted to make sure that we sold direct to consumer at fair prices. And then I wanted to make sure that we had a best in class product in every category. So I mentioned, you know, we've got the lightest stick on the market at 350 grams. We have the only full carbon fiber skate, you know, true skate has much less carbon fiber. The grade's not nearly as high. We have a better product there. We have the only team store software. We're the only ones that own our own apparel manufacturing. And I started thinking about helmet, for example, and I realized I could, you know, I, I could work the rest of my life and never create a helmet the likes of what CAV created. So I started to work with them to establish a partnership. I wear tested the helmet for about six months and worked through the nuances of the deal. And lo and behold, we basically made an exclusive arrangement with CAV where we, where we basically sell and offer the, their helmet as an, as an exclusive product through, through Verbero. These helmets are, are unbelievable. They're, they're completely customized, 3D printed in a, in a straight shot in a 30, in a 36 hour period straight straight shot 3d print and the beauty of it is there's an algorithm that essentially maps to the circumference of your head there's a bunch of measurements that happen um, basically that are input into the algorithm and, and this is this is created the thing that is there's so much technology in this all the way from the mask which is which is essentially hardwareless attachment so there's these are actually built in the print process the catch mechanisms are built the masks are also 3d printed the, the masks are not 3D printed, but the, the, these catch mechanisms for the mask are, are all integrated. Are all integrated wow. in print, oh, so they're man. actually in print, and they basically catch. So there's no, there's no, no, no more of the of the uh, you know the tethers on the side. There's the the cage itself is is integrated in print, so there's no hot spots with the screws that are here anymore. And then on the interior, as you can see, sort of through through the here, you see all the hex configurations. Every single one of those hex partitions sits like a vertical stanchion on your head and essentially encompasses your head all the way across the entirety of your head. There's no, there are no, uh, there are no voids. There's no negative space. So when there's an impact, it's essentially distributed across the entirety of your head, which dissipates the force to a higher degree. And then the other thing that's an amazing distinction is this is actually a, a, so, a soft memory. So it, it's more, it's more like an airbag type feature. It's obliterating the best in, in class by from all the other brands by unfathomable amounts. Is all, is all this your IP? This is not my IP. This is Cavs IP. Like I said, I could work for the rest of my life and never come up with something. Oh, as- this is a set. So this is a different brand in the 3D printed helmet game that yeah, you're we, collaborating with. Exactly. Yeah, we. I got you. Smart. So even, even in the back here, there's this there's this hexapital lock. So it's a it's kind of a free floating. Um, uh, a component in the back here called the hexipital lock and it essentially pushes upward against your occipital bone in the back of your head 
I had an incident where I was wearing mine and I, you know, we all, we've all fallen backwards and you have that thing and the helmet always goes off. Well, I fell backwards and the helmet literally just didn't move, you know, because it's just root, it's rooted to your head. It's an extension of your, it's a light, it's lighter than the uh, equivalent helmet in the market. It has like 15% more ventilation. It's impermeable to, to moisture and bacteria. So it never, it never smells. The beauty of this material is too, against sort of like the status quo helmet. It, there's no deformation of materials over time. So, you know, the typical helmet, you take it out of the box, you start to wear it, all those foams start to degrade. It's not, it's not the same helmet as when it got tested. And then on top of that, you know, this, this helmet is in a testing class of its own. It's, it's, a, it's an insult to, to put it through the standard testing because the standard testing is so substandard relative to what really is imperative value for what your head deserves for protection. So it's, it's the future of everything, and we're so fortunate to have the partnership. Imagine just, you went back in time to Al Ifrady in between the periods smoking darts and you hologrammed in. You're like, hey, Al, you want to see what a helmet looks like in 2021? He'd be like, holy shit, that's crazy. <laughs> that's exactly what he would say. Oh, man. Uh, just quickly, for the people listening on the pod, I'm going to clip the video of Andy showing the helmet and explaining yeah. it. I'll have it up on our socials. So if you're listening to the pod and you want the visual element as well, it'll be up on our uh, on our Instagram and over on our Twitter. I also, I want to plug that I'm getting new jerseys for my beer league team and I'm already in the process of going through Verbero. So I'm very excited to see what my new beer league jerseys will, uh, will look like. But if you go to Verbero.com, like it really is kind of like you said, Andy, the one-stop shop. Like, I mean, you can get bags, gloves, sticks, helmets, skates, the jerseys, the custom apparel, all that stuff. So like what's next for Verbero here? What's kind of like the next step for the company? I think more than anything, like, you know, just continue to work to support our salespeople. Like we've got, we've got to put this into context, context, pre COVID Bauer had 50 sales reps worldwide. We're at just under 350 and growing at about what? Wow. So, so we want to continue to nurture that, you know, and make sure that, that our reps are, you know, tied in, they're feeling passionately they're they're uh, they're fully educated on everything that's there. Uh, partnerships is another thing. So I'm just in the process of finishing up a performance section on our site. There's, there's three products in there now, but there's a joint, there's a joint health company that we partnered with. There's a company called life fuel. That's a, a plant-based protein powder. We're partnering with an, a, a company that does an electrolyte product. We've got a company called Stoco in there. So Stoco is essentially a, it's a tight that basically has an integrated uh, wire through it and essentially two, two knobs on the back. And these are all the Lululemon people that basically came and did this, but the tight is, is, is so well structured that it, 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 it forego, you forego the need for a conventional, uh, you know, clunky, clunky old brace. It actually gives you the same level of, of protection for your knee joints, say as, as a traditional knee brace. So we keep working on partnerships um, and then, and then really more than anything, nurturing our accounts, you know, all, all the top tier accounts we have, all the reps we have working to get again, new accounts. And then really like marketing is, you know, marketing and even our marketing approach, like I don't pay into marketing. I, I do everything I can to make myself available to tell the story. And then hopefully people are like, man, I dig that story. I want to check this out. We're going to give Verbero a chance. You know, we distribute in both the U S and Canada. We have basically duplicate program. It works in both countries. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're really looking forward to, to the Canadian market turning on and COVID subsiding so we can continue to spread the word. You're killing the damn game, Andy Sutton. That's what's going on. Well done. Uh, we're, we're definitely, you know, our tagline and, and I inherited this with the brand is be different. 
And verbero actually means in Latin to beat, lash, scourge, or drum and basically obliterate shit. So that's what we're going to keep doing. We're going to change the status quo. We're going to be different in every way. We're going to we're going to make sure that we connect on a deeper level. I'll give you an example. So, you know, Tim Peel, longtime NHL referee, signed on as a rep with us. He very quickly signed on Jamal Mayers, you know, two-time Stanley Cup champion. They've, they've cornered the market in St. Louis and brought in many of the big organizations. And we had a fitting up there with the St. Louis AAA Blues. And I went up for the fitting. So these kids, these 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 14, 18-year-old kids are all getting fit with Jamal, Tim, and myself down on our hands and knees, you know, making sure they've got the right fitting socks and jerseys and everything like that. And that's the, that's the brand that we want to be known as. We want to be grassroots. We want to be at the point of play. We want people to understand that it, it can be done more intimately. It doesn't have to be at such an arm's length. The other brands, have, they have no voice behind them anymore. They have no face you know, it's not all about high level marketing because every time they, they do a stick video with Patrick Kane, well, guess what? You got to go spend 350 bucks on a stick. You know, that's the whole reason you're having to spend what you spend on a top tier product. That's not the case with us. You know, we're going to make sure that we always work to keep the prices approachable and make sure that we can connect in a, in a much more meaningful way. Does that mean you don't do endorsement deals with players then? You don't pay players to use your product? We don't pay. We don't pay anybody. We do revenue share based deals. Um, and then you're going to see some pretty exciting ones coming out. I got a couple of things that I can't mention yet that are, that are absolutely groundbreaking from a partnership standpoint. And they're going to, they're going to be big news. In the meantime, I recommend everybody go to verbero.com. Cause I'm cruising through even the yeah. apparel, the equipment, everything. There's a lot of stuff here to get to. Well, and if, if anybody wants to check out a team store, it's pretty easy. We, we don't, we don't host them, but there are some, there are some team stores linked at the bottom that you can click on and you can check out what those individual team stores look like. And then really, if anybody is interested in selling, like we work with all kinds of podcasts, we work with all, all kinds of people that are in marketing and, and, and different meet different media outlets. We work with, we work with single moms. We work with, you know, commissioners, coaches, literally anybody can sell with us because the way I see it, we've all cultivated hockey relationships over the course of our lives. We all know people, we know somebody that's somewhere, or maybe we're part of an organization that it can, our program can dovetail into your daily life in a perfect way and give you a supplemental income and coming out of COVID heck don't like, don't we all realize more than ever. It's nice to have a you know, little yeah. bit of diversity in your portfolio. So if anybody is interested at all in becoming a sales rep with us and you can sell worldwide, certainly stay in Canada, you can certainly stay in your hometown, whatever you're comfortable with, just reach out to it's just team at verbero.com. We've got a, our executive staff receives that email. We, we take all that in. We educate you on what, what our program looks like, send you a bunch of videos you can watch so you can look a little bit more, but it's a, it's a really great addition. If you've already spent your life or you spend time in the game of hockey to, to sell with Verbero. Andy, really, I mean, this was perfect for our pod. We talked some hockey, we talked some business. It was fantastic stuff. Uh, we'd love to have you on again in the future. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, likewise, guys. I enjoyed it, and I really appreciate the opportunity to connect with you and uh, look forward to doing it again sometime. Our one co-host, Jay, isn't here today, and now when we see him for the next show, we'll be like, oh, good job, you idiot. You just met, missed Andy Sutton, who's up to some shit you won't even believe. So wherever you weren't here from, you lose Andy Sutton wins. Well, we do it. We can do it again sometime, and, uh, you know, there's there's no reason why we can't we can't work together. You know, we're, we're part yeah. of it and a, a bunch of cool pods so it's uh it's it's i think it's the perfect thing you guys already have an audience there's no reason why the podcast shouldn't have an additional revenue stream it just it just makes perfect sense fucking right andy well appreciate your time man we'll talk soon thanks boys see you later take it easy buddy yeah. cheers guys all right there you go that is that was andy unbelievable Sun. that's wow, super, like i, I am... mean fuck 
what the fuck was that? I think it so, goes to show, like, if you were an Oilers fan, or, I mean, we all were, but, like, an Oilers fan in 2012 would have watched Andy Sutton play, and, like, not Sun Rube, but, like, you would have been like, oh, man, just a big, meaty defenseman who blocks shots, and, like, you never would have known, like, the layer behind who he is, like, the engineering degree, how fucking smart this guy is business-wise, like... Man. I was going to say, this forget is the- 2012, man. Like when you said we had Andy Sutton coming on the podcast for today, I'm like, all right. So I'm going to start reading about what he's been up to, what he's doing. And just even just listening to him talk for the last, what was that? 45 minutes or so. Just yeah, almost he's got a million things going on that you never would have expected. This is the type of show we need to do boys. Yeah. This is the fucking prototype. Like when I heard we were meeting with Andy Sutton, I was like, God damn. I'm only thinking about Oilers hockey. I'm only yeah. thinking about one year of his life. I kind of remembered he played for fucking Atlanta, but I remembered him to be a big giant dude. Right. Yep. And then it turns out these are the types of stories that like the NHLPA you never hear about. You hear about guys who are having a tough time when God bless them. You know, I hope everybody that's dealing with, I, I almost didn't want to ask, but like, is Andy Sutton's quality of life physically okay at 46? Like with yeah. 16 surgeries, he looked fighting fit. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if he isn't, like, a yoga enthusiast or something. But, like, telling the stories of retired players who are doing awesome shit, I think, does a service to current players to understand that there's, like, people that are still out there doing shit you wouldn't even believe afterwards that are awesome. Yeah, he found a way to stick within hockey, too, in just a completely different landscape. And it's almost like he went to school twice, hey, how he he got he went for engineering, but then he went to this, the business school and he was learning about manufacturing and marketing and everything. And now it's turning into Verbera and the internet and the uh, the interview ends with him offering a job to everybody listening to this. It's pretty amazing. I wanted to be like, oh, by the way, <laughs> we're actually gigantic. I know that we pretend to be idiots and like we don't know what we're doing, Andy Sutton. <laughs> but now that we got our giant economic dicks out, during this conversation i just want to let you know we're not actually stunted but i didn't have a heart to do it because then he'd be like oh by the way i'm like how are you getting recruited to be in the navy if you're a canadian that's wild yeah yeah he, he's like my best friend's a computer navy. programmer and he works for the military i'm like what the fuck was it? 19 year old andy sutton flagged as in the yeah. u.s super soldier program they're like what you're six foot six what you're a genius what 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 yeah. He was impressive, man. That was an impressive fucking dude, for real. Yep, really, really impressive, cool. dude. And like, uh, the, like I said, I I was glad I got to ask him about the work ethic to make it all happen. Because, okay, Andy Sutton, you're you're a forward. Okay, yeah, no problem. No, no, you're a defenseman now. Yeah, yeah, okay, no problem. And then he goes out and puts up the best collegiate year of any defenseman. Then he gets recruited by fourteen teams and he was going to quit at one point or thought about it. At least that's amazing to me. The mm-hmm. resilience think about incredible. the, think about the character you have to have to be that often injured and yet play till you're 38. Yeah. yeah right. Like you think coaches surgeries? would be like, coaches are joking with him that he's not going to play more than 40 games than handing him multi-million dollar contracts. Yeah. Like what the fuck? Right. Yeah. But then you listen to him talk and this is where, Sports media, I think, and maybe Oilers media to a greater extent, and the Oilers organization, they don't do us any favors in that you never get to hear what players actually think about anything. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to Andy Sutton talk, he's like, no, playing in Canada is a great privilege, and I loved it. He has the psychological makeup of what we need as an Oiler. Why are we bringing in guys that don't have that attitude? Why are we even entertaining players that aren't like Andy Sutton mentally? Because you can see a guy like that's capable of great things on and off the ice. That's the archetype of the oiler you want in the program. Well, it's even like you said too, one year where he says, um, 
if you hated it here, that's probably more on you than whatever happened mm. with the team kind of thing. Like a lot of level of ownership there that you may not often expect from a, yeah. from a pro athlete. I like that a lot. And that's a contagious thing, right? Like that's the kind of guy you want to have in the room around the young Oilers, right? Like if you told me, oh yeah, bringing in Andy Sutton's genius, he's a fucking awesome dude. And that's the kind of guy you want in the dressing room. As an Oilers fan, I would have thought about Andy Sutton completely differently. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe that's part of the reason why the Larsons of the world don't take is because you never hear them talk like an Andy Sutton did just there. Right. So fans have a hard time identifying with people. That guy's a legend, man. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap up, uh, just quickly housekeeping, our friends at DoorDash are a proud partner of the entire nation network of podcasts. Uh, we got a promo code of them for our pod. It's real life DD. And if you've never used the DoorDash app before, Punch that code in. It gets you 25% off and no delivery fee on your first order. Dinner's on us tonight. Real Life DD and DoorDash. Thanks, Tyler. You're welcome. And DoorDash. Dinner's on us, eh? It's a good tagline. Ding dong. Who is Ding that? Dong. It's Dinner. Again, it's the fifth day in a row. I'm here to eat with you, motherfuckers. When, when Andy was saying that we can sell his product, which is a fine idea, I, I kind of want to be like, um, listen, sir, we're already spoken for. We do pubic hair manu- uh, manucuring and also sometimes DoorDash. Ding dong. Hello. And I got some sexy undies on right now, Andy. We got HGA so. giving us legal advice, keeping us out of jail. Like there's some hard people to knock off the advertising roster here. I, I do think there's somewhere to go with Verbero. Like, it's super cool. Like, I wasn't actually kidding. The reason I kind of ended up getting in touch with him is because I'm ordering new beer league jerseys through his website. And You're, like, oh, shit, this is You're doing a really good, like, this is the kind of interview that we never did before that I feel like there's a lot of that, like, how you find these people and get them to do it. I have no earthly idea. But, like, going through a roster of former alumni-owned businesses yeah, and then being like, do you want to pump your thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like when we had do Sam you want to pump your like, thing is my sex tape name, by the way. Do you want to pump your thing? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And on that note, um, this has been episode It two is two and a half minutes long, like uh, Andy Sutton's fight versus uh, you guys. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I wish everyone Good could have seen today. the air punch that Bag Milk just delivered. Wow. <laughs> Good show today. Rate us five stars. That was fun. Man, yeah. he was an interesting cat, dude. Like I could have listened to him talk for two hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good job, your own check. Thanks. Glad to have you back. Mark it down. 105.53 of the Real Life Pod. Wanye <laughs> says, good job, your M check. Yeah, that's, that's the right. new intro. <laughs> you should. I also, honestly, man, that rant that he went on about being playing in Canada. It was dope. We need to clip, 38 we need to clip yep. that shit. It's, it, it, consider it clipped. Um, when I go to bed at night and I'm like, the Oilers just lost and Connor might want to leave. And oh my God, I want to put on that as like my sleep music, like former yeah. players being like, I like it in Edmonton. And then we'll like do a deep fake and generate Connor being like, I also like it here. Please <laughs> Andy Sutton. Kanye. Uh, Andy Sutton, right. game changer. Game changer. Game changer. See you later, Ep- boys. Yep. Episode 306, Real Life Podcast. Shout out to Manscaped. They give you the promo code Real Life, which gets you 20% off and free shipping. Twig and Berries, promo code Nation15, DoorDash, promo code Real Life DD, and HGA Group, who's just here to bring your business to the next level for Wanye Bag Milk and new friend of the show, Andy Sutton. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you once again on Monday. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Real Life Podcast. Don't want to miss any of our nonsense? Hit the subscribe button and give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.